connect to them. Dry bones is equal, connect to them. Dry bones is equal, connect to them. Dry bones, now hear the word of... Hello and welcome back to the Boney Island Whitefish. I believe it is episode six. I want to say six. I, I think it's six it or is it seven. I think it's seven. seven. Hey, <sighs> welcome to the Boney Island Whitefish, the podcast where we decide what episode number it is. <laughs> Ooh, uh, it is episode seven. I'm so sorry, it's, everybody. Uh, uh, the UK, the, the world's favorite UK Australian podcast about <laughs> counting. <laughs> it's, uh, we'd like you're gonna to have announce- to. Go you're gonna have to forgive me. I've got a bad case of coma brain. Oh, it affects sorry. you in many different ways, as we will find out today. <laughs> sorry, I can't come into work today. I've got a bad case of coma brain. I'm just all mixed up. I don't know what belt to put on. I'm walking up the stairs, funny, and um, I, and I saw a clown, and I was delighted by it. So oh, no, please, paid time off, please. My coma brain, um, I don't know. Yeah. My, my coma brain is kicking in really hard. <laughs> hey, how was your date last, last weekend? Oh, it was great. I got that coma brain. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you come so hard, you forget your belt buckle. Yes. Oh, no, I don't know what my personality is anymore. <laughs> That's why I was so rude to you afterwards. <laughs> Please, let's go out on another date. <laughs> let's go out on another date to one of the two third locations that we could be in. <laughs> For the two venues in Washington. There's, there are, they add t- two more venues in this episode. It is a huge expansion of the universe, isn't it? Yeah, abs- the, Bones cinematic, the Bones Season 5 cinematic universe of places to go that aren't related to crimes now includes... Uh, or, or crimes or policing or, or bones now includes a commercial kitchen, but uh, not a restaurant and what appears to be a cocktail bar. What if the commercial kitchen was just um, out the back of the founding fathers or whatever? Oh, you yeah. Know? So, so what, the, the, their old their old friend who shows up to dispense or maybe an old friend. I don't know. It could be from an earlier season. I haven't seen those earlier seasons and I refuse to um, strongly hint to that. Yeah, strongly hinted that this is that their old friend works in a kitchen but again uh, i don't know and i won't learn that that's our pledge to you we will not be learning throughout this show although you know we've really expanded our knowledge of coma brain um oh, yeah. and many many wrinkles to the condition of coma brain are expanded on and explained throughout this episode entitled the Dwarf in the Dirt. Ooh, right. Season 5, Episode 7, The Dwarf in the Dirt. We have a bones count in this episode of 19. The word bones is spoken 19 times. Uh-huh. That's, you know, I've heard it spoken more. It seems to be. Um, so far, I think that's that's batting about the average for this show, which is, I would say, roughly um, saying, saying the word bones once every two minutes. <laughs> Oh God! I can't believe. Okay, when you put it that way, that is. Yeah, <laughs> they say bones a lot. For your average runtime of an episode of this show, 40, 40 odd minutes, uh, we're saying bones once every two minutes, and that's that's what we like. Yeah, you know, because I feel like if they don't say it every two minutes, I'll forget what the show's about, 
And I'll be like, ah, what a great, what a great feeling sitting down to watch muscles. Mm. Oh no, guts. Mm, nerves <laughs> about a very yeah. nervous detective who's constantly getting scared by the clues that they're that they're uh, uncovering. Now, come on, come on, the- nerves. We found an optic <laughs> nerve wedged wedged into this doorway. Hmm. <laughs> some small fibrous endings here you might be able to work with. Oh, please. I feel like there would be a lot less opportunities. Oh, yeah, I mean, nerves. it's like. Oh, yes, this crime scene seems like it might be, why, a, a day old. <laughs> I, I think also to maintain the naming convention, the character would have to be extremely jumpy. <laughs> why, um, like, like Bones Brandon is extremely bony? Well, she's just she's just obsessed with bones. You yeah, know? that's right, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> the detective nerves would have to be very jumpy, but yeah, an expert on fibrous endings muscles she, would need to be a gigantic they need to get into a team <laughs> nerves muscles bones just the three people who know how to solve crimes related to dead bodies um now there is a dead body in this episode mm-hmm. and we, now what what we have talked about with this show the pattern that we are seeing emerge is that the writers of the television show bones specifically season five uh, they have collectively developed a bizarre habit of saying, we are going to write an opening to this episode. It is going to get you on the hook. Have you ever been on the hook? Because you're on one now. Mm-hmm. We're going to write something tantalizing, something fascinating, something you will not be able to tear your eyes away from. And we're going to set all this up before we blast you with the sweet sounds of that Crystal Method theme song. What then happens, what then tends to happen is over the course of the following, let's say, 35 minutes, uh, they then have to say, fuck, I'm going to need to explain some of the aspects of the situation that I initially set up. For example, in the previous episode that featured a real mummy, they had to explain how did the mummy get hung up on the fence? How did the mummy get a spray of fresh arterial blood on it? Did the mummy kill somebody? Clearly not. We're going to have to come up with an explanation. And also, I guess, a murderer in the last two minutes. Oh, yeah. This it's episode. Cer- it certainly is. Le- it's, it is hook led and then just. Um, uh, 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 a lot of shrugging. <laughs> yeah. They do the hook and then they're like, well, I guess we need to write this hook into an hour long murder investigation that happens in the real world. Now, whoever wrote this episode, I am very proud of them because they have eliminated the need for all of that hard work um, by instead giving us the answers to all these questions almost immediately. They have turned this around in record time. But before we tell you what the solutions are, of course, we will provide you with the hook. So we open this episode at a shooting range. Uh, presumably at the FBI, because there's a bunch of FBI agents there. Yes. Uh, including our wonderful best friend, FBI agent, Seely Booth. That very normal name that so hey, do many you think, people um, have. Do you think maybe Nerves' FBI assistant is like a <laughs> very strong woman called Banquette? 
and then uh, Muscles' FBI agent is um, is just a guy called Four Top, you know, like a Four Top table in a restaurant. Just just different parts of the body assisted by different seating configurations. That's that's, yeah. that's in my that hey in my opinion. That's what's happening in uh, Earths 2 and 3, where Hillary, <laughs> where Hillary Clinton is president, and uh, 2016 went the right way, uh, where uh, America is fascinated by the detective exploits of nerves and his uh, friend and protector, Banquette. Yes, um, in the big crossover event of the century, we find ourselves hearing the words, Agent Seely Booth, please meet Agent Lucy Countertop. Lucy, so, I, I didn't know that Lucy just changed her name when she got married. Well, because you got a seal. Yeah. A nice tight seal. Sealy. My, uh, my name is Lucy Countertop now. So that's my impression of Lucy from your show. Wonderful. That's perfect. It's great. Lucy, when did you get start guesting on the Boney Island Whitefish? Um, so we're at the shooting range and... There was an FBI agent standing next to Booth who says, Wow, are you the FBI agent, C. Lee Booth, of legend? And he goes, fuck off, pal. He's very rude to him. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, uh, you know, Booth's, Booth's reputation precedes him so much that the FBI agent uses the very common phrase that we've all heard and love to hear all the time. I've heard you could shoot a hole through the middle of a dime on the run. Yeah. I was like, God, again with that phrase that I hear all the time? Yeah. <laughs> what um, a well-worn out trope of television. Yeah. You, you, know when a, you know when a dime runs away from you? Yeah. Maybe they're just talking about, maybe they're just like, you know, they're, they're, they're on the internet in 2015 and they're talking about a dime like, you know, like, like a really hot girl. I, I bet you I bet you'd be willing to shoot a really hot girl on the run. Yeah, it's a, it's an observation on police violence. Um, you are able to shoot a hole through an attractive woman who is running away from you, uh, or or maybe just I don't know a, a sentient dime that grew legs and the police oh, no. decided to do police brutality against immediately. Um, and and Booth is like, uh, hey, watch and learn, dipshit. And then shoots at his target and it comes back in. Wouldn't you know it though, he is shooting like shit and he feels bad. His gun's dick is flaccid. (laughs) That is an extended metaphor throughout this episode. It oddly enough becomes... uh, That that was my note from immediately upon seeing that. Uh, Booth's Booth's gun's dick is flaccid. (laughs) Little did I know... How accurate that would come to be. Um, and, of course, the FBI agent standing next to him is like, forget it. Must yeah. have the wrong guy. You don't have a you, good dick at all. You would barely be able to murder someone on the street, as we require our federal agents to do. Yeah. I bet if you tried to, tr- if you tried to trick a Muslim teenager into, like, you know, plotting to blow up the West Edmonton Mall, he'd probably <laughs> trick you. <laughs> um. So, he's sad about this, immediately goes to bug FEI um, sci- psychologist sweets about it. Um, and he says, role, by the way, is never less clear to me than it is in this episode. Yes. And um, th- I, I, I like this where Booth says to him, hey, look, um, if I ask you a question, can you answer it in plain language? Doc, speak English. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, what's our deal? What, what are you? FBI mm. shrink, friend, objective observer. As far as I can tell, they have now been working together for at least five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, this seems maybe it's like less. Maybe I don't it's know. less. <laughs> I don't know. I won't learn. I will not be learning, but um, but they've been working together for a substantial amount of time. Great that he has finally taken the initiative to ask for the first time, "What is our relationship, and what is your role here?" Uh-huh. He's um, getting his performance review. Yep. Um, so Booth gets gets pissy that uh, that Sweets is like, "Hey, let me grab a pen and paper," and immediately leaves. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so let me tell you what I, my job is with a bunch of freaking science words. And Booth is like, Booth is like, shut up and knocks his school books onto the floor. That's right. The right answer was your job is being my friend. (laughs) Kind of. That that is sort of the answer that this episode comes to. That's what he was looking for. Yeah. So, um, Booth then goes to the crime scene with Bones. Um, Bones is trying very hard in this episode to be funny. Yeah, for... For a reason that's not set up in uh, a previous episode, just... Well, I'm wondering if the setup is right here at the start when she can see that something is bothering Booth and she says, why aren't you cracking wise? And he says, because it's not 1945. Owned, Bones. Mm -hmm. And she says, shall I start making jokes? Ah, see, I missed that. uh, And he says, just let it flow naturally. Which is what we all say about jokes, um, but yes, I'm wondering if the if her noticing that him being uh, a pissy little baby is what made her go. I I should go and get making jokes for dummies from the bookstore and start attempting some jokes. Yeah. Um. So basically, Booth is sad that he has to get recertified for marksmanship by the FBI and that he sucks at shooting now. I find this interesting considering that he has already shot somebody since coming back from his his coma brain. Did he shoot someone just as a private citizen? No, he shot um he shot the guy in the James Bond episode. Yeah. Bones, the, the, James Bones. Was it was it the James Bond episode? With I think the it was doctor? also the, the cult episode. Oh sorry, it was it was it was, it was, was the, episode. the cult episode. Yeah. Where the doctor is like, hey, Bones, come back to my office and look at this scalpel that I'm thrusting at you. Um, <laughs> and Bones, and it. Yeah, Booth immediately yeah. Uh, just caps this dude. First shot, takes him down. No issues at all. Uh, several episodes later, apparently he needs to be recertified by the FBI despite being a field agent who has been interrogating suspects, investigating crimes and shooting people. Mm-hmm. This is the first time it's come up. So yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. He thinks his shooting problems are due to his coma brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am concerned that it might affect his ability to dome citizens while working on cold case murders. <laughs> that's right. The, the most dangerous murders. So the cases where it's cold because you could you could get frostbite from touching all the uh, all the cold files. It's true. Your fig- trigger finger could seize up, you know. Yeah. Um. Bones does inform him that a case of coma brain um, is like uh, probably not going to be the thing that's affecting him. She says it's highly unlikely given that aiming a firearm involves your cerebellum and occipital lobe while your brain tumor is temporal parietal. 
this does not reassure Booth for some reason. Yeah, well, wait, are you are you suggesting that again a precocious thirteen year old wouldn't be able to assure you about your, you know, um, let's say quite fundamental uh, issue of wellness and confidence with some like facts that they read on Wikipedia? Oh, we took a golf ball sized chunk out of a different part of your brain, so probably fine. Yeah, probably fine. Absolutely, you weren't even using that bit. Mm. Booth says that he's worried that Sweets will tell the FBI that he is, quote, loopy doopy. Mm. Yeah, that's um, that that look that is that is the word. Uh, that's the official medical term is loopy doopy. There is nothing that an FBI field agent fears more than the FBI psychologist taking out his big red <laughs> loopy doopy stamp and and whacking that down on his file. <laughs> nothing there's nothing worse that's a fate worse than death you well, know if you actually if you open the um kennedy case files you will see that <laughs> lee harvey oswald was officially designated loopy doopy by the fbi before he went uh. all shooty woody <laughs> um and there's like there's nothing worse than the idea of being deemed of like officially loopy doopy and no longer being able to efficiently kill members of the public yeah, the issue is also that um, in in uh, discourses of mental health, in fact, loopy doopiness is frequently <laughs> feminized, as you will see in the writing of um, uh, I just you know, outing myself as someone who doesn't read any theory. <laughs> so um, we are at the crime scene, and we now meet Officer Navarro, who is played by Dan Castellaneta of oh. Homer Simpson fame. I, I just have written down that this is Officer Homer Simpson from the show <laughs> Police Cops within uh, The Simpsons. Officer Homer Simpson. Because you, you know, um, there, there is the show in, in, in The Simpsons, Police Cops, um, where the main character is named Homer Simpson, and in the first right. episode is a suave character, and in the second episode is a big fat bumbler, and then in the third episode, uh, loses quite a bit of weight, turns pink, grows an extra finger, moves to D.C. Uh, with his best friend Seymour Skinner, of course, and um, then just takes up a job as a wisecracking beat cop who talks to Bones. Oh my goodness. That's him. Yeah. Uh, I do notice with some criticism, he is not doing a particularly funny voice throughout this episode. Yeah, he could be doing the Homer Simpson voice that everyone uh, loves him for. Well, he does a great number of voices on The Simpsons. He could have even invented a new voice for this character. Sheer laziness, I'm going to attribute it to. Do you think um, that Dan Castellaneta was just doing this for a payday? Well... Here's the thing, right? He's got to be fucking loaded off The Simpsons. Maybe he just loves Bones, and he wanted to be in a sh an episode of Bones. Imagine him. His imagine him calling his agent. Did you hear back about? <laughs> have you have you called him again? Sorry, Dan Castellaneta. Don't call us. We'll call you. Dan, you got to just learn to let go of this. It might not happen. Look, are you going to be able to play the Bones in the show Bones? I don't know. Maybe we can get you a walk-on role as a beat cop. Maybe. I've said it before and I've said it again. I will play any role on the television show Bones. <clears throat> His character then immediately shows them to a great big sinkhole. Full of bones. Um, and he says, he, I, ca I captured this line because they, they bo Bones says, why are we here? And he says, uh, a double bones count. 
You're the bones people, right? Well, we've got bones. We've got bones. That's two two boneses in one line. It's beautiful. So, here comes the aforementioned all-timer entry in the canon of situations the Bones writers thought up and will have to figure out after the credits. The Bones, right down in the sinkhole, they're green. And that's weird, right? We can all agree that that's weird. The Bones are green and they're small. They are smaller than an average-sized person's bones. Uh, Booth says, are they, are they a child's bones? Bone says, no, dentition's... Uh, dentition indicates mid-twenties. And she's like, hey, I found a gold coin. And she flips it up to Booth. And then, purely by coincidence, not due to very labored, hackneyed writing, uh, a water main bursts, showering a fine mist above Bones's head and presenting a rainbow-like effect. <sighs> And Booth's like, hey, there's, you are at the end of a rainbow. That's right. Gold coins, a little person with green bones, rainbows. Booth is like, it's a leprechaun. <laughs> yes. Yes. And this is why we call the previous episode in this episode, the Twin Peaks of Bones. Because we <laughs> go from a human hybrid chicken soldier, a concept taken seriously for... 15 seconds of runtime, but the whole intro spends building to to a leprechaun and we'll see how long that concept gets taken seriously for maybe even less than 15 seconds but again that the whole opening is building to they set the entire thing up to say we have the tiny green bones of a leprechaun we have gold coins and rainbows we even have some very poorly done like irish pan flute type of business on the soundtrack mm -hmm. uh, right. and then they then they bang us with the credits the motherfucking crystal method credits um and we all love it we love to soak it in yes now wait are we no longer where... playing them oh look we're gonna we, you gotta you gotta have a taste <laughs> oh, yeah. the good stuff i just need that thump and crystal method bass in my ears that's good now they slap us with the credits and this is where i am truly impressed at this show because they take us back to the jefferson medico institute for sexual harassment where we meet a new previously unseen intern uh named vincent who is british and gross and this is this is what's truly impressive to me right is um like you said, in the, the hybrid chicken super soldier episode, which is a mm -hmm. thing that we're saying out loud to each other. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> in the hybrid chicken super soldier episode, they say chicken man at the start. They go, what if he's some sort of DARPA created chicken man? And then they do keep sort of casually referring to him as chicken man for almost the whole episode, right? Mm -hmm. um, right. They talk about his deformed face and all this sort of stuff. Um this episode, it's like someone started a stopwatch and said, how quickly can you ride out all of that shit that I put in at the start? Very. Someone said, out. I do not want to have to keep thinking about when I'm going to answer the leprechaun questions. So we start, I'm going to say five seconds after the credits with this intern Vincent saying, leprechauns are thought to explode if you touch them with a broom handle. 
And Cam says, these remains show no sign of being exploded. And also, there are no such thing as leprechauns. Uh-huh. So, hey, you know, all of that tension that we built up just before the theme song that you carried with you through the dulcet tones of the crystal method can now largely be dispelled, especially because the next thing they say is, oh, and the green bones are explained by the fact there's iron oxide in the ground. Like I said, good. I think I said this in the last episode, a good mystery show sets up the mystery and then solves it immediately so that you keep paying attention. Uh, In this case, instead, what we immediately note is that this is a person with dwarfism and... Uh, it's, I'm really impressed. It's it's record time to go from this is a leprechaun to this is not a leprechaun. It took about 10 seconds minus the credit sequence. Um, yeah, but hey, then, that credit sequence, you were very titillated. Yes. <laughs> I spent the whole thing just thinking, quiet crystal method. I'm thinking about the leprechaun. And then uh, Hodgins, lab bug man Hodgins appears uh, via some kind of video dial up. He is at the crime scene. Uh, And as you said, he says, I know why our victim's bones are green. The soil is lousy with iron oxides. That combined Mm -hmm. with the acidic groundwater turned the calcium in the bones green. Done. That's two out of three things. (laughs) Two out of three things that we're like, fuck that off. I don't, we don't want to. That's why Mm -hmm. the bones are green. Definitely not a leprechaun. Don't even worry about it. Yeah, that thing we we said earlier, forget that. They they explained the uh, rainbow-like effect of water as it was happening, as uh, a burst water main. Um, oh, yeah. So, they didn't even want that for any reason other than the visual effect, and uh-huh. that's fine. Again, first, uh, that, just a first draft of a show. Oh, it's wonderful. And that leaves us with the, the gold coins, um, which is basically, you know, the only thing that they have left to even consider in this episode so far, based on what they've set up. Mm-hmm. We now cut to a restaurant... And here's Stephen Fry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> here's Stephen Fry. I think we're meant to know him. <laughs> uh, his name is Gordon Gordon Wyatt. Uh, and from context clues, because again, context clues is all the information about the previous seasons of Bones I will accept to take in. By the way, I should mention, having seen this show before, I haven't seen every episode. I started watching randomly in quarantine because my girlfriend and her sister like it. Um... I started around season five and then watched a couple episodes of later seasons. I, I have no knowledge of the earlier seasons of Bones at all. I've never yep. seen them. Um, and Stephen Fry uh, appears to be a, 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 a head chef at a like gourmet restaurant, having spent a previous career uh, as an FBI psychologist in the vein of sweets. You you know that thing that sets you up well for a for yeah. a season of, for a career in like fine dining. Yeah, but not just a career in fine dining, a career at like the pinnacle of what it's possible to attain in fine dining, how you can just, you know, go get a job as a head chef with no experience. Yeah, I do have a lot of questions about that, but I won't be getting the answers if they come in the like some other season of this show. Oh heavens no. So um so yeah, like you said, context clues lead us to believe that he was previously a psych on this show. Who knows? Um, so, so you say his name is Gordon Gordon Wyatt? Uh, yes. Because that was a thing that was very perplexing to me, is that at multiple points throughout the show, people refer to him as Gordon Gordon. <laughs> That's right. 
And I was like, what the fuck is happening right now? Because I, I watched the show along with a transcript of the show. <laughs> um, so that if I need to grab like a line of the script to say, what? Um, I can do that. And all through the transcript, the person had just typed Gordon Wyatt. Who's including in the points where someone had said out loud, Gordon, Gordon. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. So, um, I feel like I've got a case of coma brain over here. I feel like I've got a strong dose of coma brain. And that is what Booth has gone to see Chef Gordon Gordon Wyatt about because he can't trust his bullshit friend Sweets, <clears throat> you know? And um, he does front up at his restaurant and he tells him that he needs some shrinky advice. And we're not talking about uh, the swimming pool. Mm-hmm. And um, Chef Gordon Gordon Wyatt, unfortunately... I'm I'm on bones.fandom.com slash wiki slash Gordon (laughs) underscore Wyatt. And in the (laughs) trivia section, it says, By season 12, Gordon Gordon Wyatt had attained his first Michelin star and won a James Beard award. Fucking hell. (laughs) My God. Now, um, unfortunately, as, as will come to be very clear here, this character is being played by Stephen Fry, and he is doing full Stephen Fry. Mm-hmm. Um, he is he is just Stephen Fry being himself with a chef's hat on. Uh, because when being asked for some shrinky advice, he says, Well, I stopped being a psychiatrist some time ago, as you know. Is this something to do with the jumbling your poor boggled noggin got last year? Yeah, that's that's all what you want your what you want your doctor to say. So you want him it's to a be very, a pure Stephen Fry. Very unprofessional way of referring to an official diagnosis of coma brain. It's, it, is, it is just... It is endlessly amusing to me that, um, that Stephen Fry basically is just able to... Is able to just, you know, go on, go on to in front of any camera as in character as national treasure Stephen Fry. And yeah. just, you know... And just basically, I don't know, have, have like a word salad and then everybody claps like a train seal. Well, it makes me think of uh, like V for Vendetta. He just played Stephen Fry in V for Vendetta. Mm-hmm. And hey, He's you know what? Like... He's playing Stephen Fry here in the show Bones. That's right. Um, so, yeah, basically, uh, Booth is like, I have problems with my brain and my brain's dick. Um, help me out. And he's like, hey, what would I know about it? I'll come and check you out. So, we then come back to uh, the the lab. We are back at the lab. Mm-hmm. And Bones and Vincent are checking out these bones, oddly enough. And they're looking at the bone and saying... Bones and saying enhanced muscle attachment indicates the victim was very strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, is, this is actually a great little bit of... Wild speculation! Oh, very good for the wild speculation. I mean, there is there is some of the wildest speculation that happens in this episode, but um, and there's two of the wildest bits of speculation and, and entirely that happened in this episode, but this is a very nice entree into a tr- into a delectable three-course triplet of a wild speculation three ways prepared for us by future Michelin star winner Stephen Fry. <laughs> so, so Bone says uh, 
This indicates the victim was very strong. Um, British intern Vincent, who we've never met before, says, I assume this is to compensate for his condition. But Bone says, what if... And that's how you know we're dealing in real evidence. Mm -hmm. When she starts the sentence with what if. Yeah. You can say that to a jury. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But think about it this way. Yeah. What if... Imagine Guilty. a world. Now imagine a world not only where he did it, but you're all millionaires. <gasps> oh, guilty. I vote for that one. I vote for that um, world. Bone says, what if his strength wasn't compensation for his condition, but led to all of his injuries? His many fractures and such. Uh, a super strong dwarf, such as might be found in Lord of the Rings, Vincent says. Yeah, that's... Hey, you know what? That's equally plausible. It's mm. it, Based all of their wild speculation, it's equally plausible that this is just Gimli. Based on the evidence they have at this <laughs> yes, point. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. You could just be like, well, I, I assume this is Gimli, so I suppose we're looking for some kind of orc. Can I put an APB out on an orc? Now, we have, uh, we have a, a fun little bit of dancing around an issue here. Um, remember, folks, we are in Obama's 2009. Mm-hmm. So, Bone says, this victim has all the occupational markers of a wrestler. And uh, Vincent says, oh, a midget wrestler. Very Britishly. Um, Bone says, no, no. Midget is not the proper term as a scientist. You should be aware. They do say as a scientist a lot mm-hmm. on this show, don't they? Uh, Vincent says, it may not be the proper term, governor. But I can assure you, correct or not, midget wrestling is an American pastime, as wrong as that may be. So they make a big point of saying, you're not meant to call people midgets. Mm-hmm. You're not meant to do it. You're not. But, but, the crass, disgusting, common American loves the sport of midget wrestling it's therefore we will be referring to it as midget wrestling for the entire duration of the episode um and uh you know i mean that's the other thing right in this this particular this particular sport um america's national pastime uh the country has been divided uh by some wrestlers taking a knee to protest uh police (laughs) brutality I just want I just want to watch my sports in peace without getting all this politics in it, people say. Ugh. Oh, gross. Get this politics out of here. Um, over in the computer lab, Angela is scanning a billion videos of midget wrestling to try to match the features of a masked wrestler. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and this is more wild speculation. I saw a news article today about a um, about a black man in America who had been wrongfully arrested and charged based on facial recognition software, which had incorrectly identified him as a different black man. Um, listeners of Trash Future and Bunta Vista will be aware of <laughs> the many, many problems with facial ID software, machine learning and such being used to implement public policies. That's what happens when you use machines to identify people based on pictures of their faces. Mm-hmm. There, she's looking at, she's using her magical 2009 iPad to look at footage of, of wrestlers wearing masks. Mm-hmm. 
So that's cool. Um, Bones informs her that wrestling is popular in many cultures and was the supreme contest in ancient Greek games. And horny Volcel Angela says, those were mostly beautiful boys wrestling around all oiled up and naked. Yep, absolutely. And the thing is, we know that Angela got goop last episode and sees this horny again. Maybe it makes it worse for her, you know? Although I, I, uh, in, we, we have looked at the, um, at the, at, the, at the pilot script of the pilot episode of Bones, and oh, yes. Angela is basically written as she is by some horny writers who really want to imagine that this is what a woman around the age of 30 would be like. And they do be like that, am I right, folks? Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> I've never met them, please. <laughs> so um, so they, they, they get a match and they say, mm. there he is. A, a match on the basis of just what, like, his elbows look kind of similar. Uh, that, yeah. they... <laughs> we, we've matched this skeleton to this living person based on uh, a magic computer. <laughs> That we have, of course, matched them based on the fact that he, this wrestler is also wearing a costume. Mm-hmm. Um, but, confusingly enough, there are reports that that very wrestler, the Golden Leprechaun, or whatever the fuck The Iron called, Leprechaun, I think you The find. Iron Leprechaun is wrestling tonight? How can that be? He's also, this dead. Is, let's see, this is probably... This is a good way into the episode, into the A plot and the B plot. We have not met any suspects uh we have no no nothing has been set up about this at all we are quite simply just learning we just quite simply watching the again i actually again i looked this up on the bones wiki a computer called the angelator uh (laughs) match um uh match just some random videos of little people wrestling which again is shown to be more popular than like ecological activism (laughs) And again, this is based off of, this is based off of, um, there are some, some markers on this guy to indicate that he was strong. Therefore, I believe him to be a professional wrestler. Therefore. That's how we got to. Yeah. It's this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, while this is happening, Hodgins is looking at some coins. Um, he says, uh, Brendan found a Chinese panda. Uh, within three meters, I found four cougarans, a French rooster franc, a gold Indian head, and a Canadian maple leaf, which are all common, untraceable gold coins. The only thing that happens of note in this scene to me uh, is that somebody comes in with a form and says, please sign this form on a clipboard, and he signs it, and then they leave. Yeah, well, I was I was, um, I was, was completely, completely hooked. Will he sign the form? Will the form be right? Will the form be necessary for something? You know, I want to learn more about that form. How many more times in this episode will people be prompted to sign a form on a clipboard? And the answer may surprise you. (laughs) Back at the restaurant with Chef Gordon, Gordon, Gordon Wyatt. (laughs) What the uh, fuck? Why do they call him that? Booth says, hey, I just need you to help me fire my gun. Uh, And Stephen Fry says, that sounds desperately phallic. Mm-hmm. Is this maybe a sexual problem? Yeah, uh, so the, the Jeffersonian Medical Criminal Institute for Sexual Harassment extends around just everywhere, every, all, everything the land touches. The, the land touches, the light touches. Well, if there's one thing worse than being officially sanctioned as loopy-doopy, 
It's, right. it, is, um, it is having to work at the Jeffersonian Medico Institution for Sexual Harassment, knowing that you're firing blanks, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, no good. That is no good. Because it basically means you can't perform your job role, which is sexual harassment. <laughs> yeah. So he asks Booth if it's a sexual problem, and Booth says, don't say that. Don't even put it out in the air, um, as though uh, as though Chef Gordon Gordon White is going to will a bad case of coma dick onto yeah. it. You know? <laughs> Just more coma things. Yep. But uh, so I guess it's time to take Stephen Fry to the midget wrestling. Mm-hmm. So that he can tag along and observe and then just uh, generally do commentary for the rest of the episode. Oh, yeah. No, so he is, um, he basically then gets to be like an amateur FBI interrogator in his official capacity as a chef for the rest of the episode, which is cool. Which, which we can all agree is cool and normal. Um, so they take him <laughs> down to the wrestling. We are treated to a classic Bonesism at this point. Um, where oh, Bones I think I wrote says, this down as well. <laughs> Bones says that that wrestler isn't isn't the guy that we're we're looking for. That's the real one in the poster. Um, his forehead, the frontal bossing, is far too prominent. Boo! <laughs> that man is not the Iron Leprechaun. Boo! Fake! Fake! <laughs> uh, and and then they say, "Hey, stop that!" And she says, "What? I thought booing is the appropriate way to show displeasure at a sporting event." Just that's right. You know, you can just again see the anno- your annoying snotty nephew pushing his glasses up onto his nose <laughs> and 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 just like you know making a fucking noise like a dinosaur. I've read the manual on how to go to a sports. Uh, Booth then decides that the most appropriate thing to do at this point is to pull out his badge and get straight into the ring and beat the shit out of the wrestler. You know, like you would as a professional crime guy. Yeah, I think uh, generally speaking, if you are an FBI agent and you're interested in talking to somebody as a suspect in a crime, and that person was in the middle of a live performance, you wouldn't like um, go backstage and wait for them to come back. You wouldn't go to see them at their private residence. You would instead just climb into the wrestling ring they were in the middle of performing in and say, I am from the FBI and I need to speak to you. And of course, what they would do is uh, continue to wrestle you. They would do things like go off the top rope on you. Yes. Yes. Which it, it turns out that doesn't work at all because um, David Boreanaz is so damn jacked. He's so big and handsome. Also, you know? hilariously, I caught that the, the name for the wrestling opponent of the Iron Leprechaun is just Bumblebee Man, which is, is that a <laughs> reference to The Simpsons because Dan Castle and Ed is on this episode? I, I don't know. But what I do understand is, again, this is just purely, oh, wait, we need to think of a name for this other thing. Let's write down the first thing that comes into our heads. The Iron Leprechaun versus Bumblebee Man. And it's attended by a crowd of hundreds of people. Hundreds of people there to see it. So we are back at the FBI. Uh, Sweets, he's talking to Chef Gordon, 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 Gordon Wyatt. (laughs) Telling him that uh, there's actually more stuff fucked up about Booth than he is letting on. Mm-hmm. For example, he now climbs stairs with a different foot. <laughs> yeah, that's a symptom of coma brain. We keep saying this. Mm, it, se- it seems that you have a bunch of st- a bunch of subtle things that are a little bit different about you because we took a golf ball sized chunk of your brain out. Anyway, yeah, that's right. it turns out that all of these symptoms are symptoms of something else. There is no sign that a person is more fucked up than 
answering their phone with a different hand than they normally answer it with. I don't know about right. you, but I've never handled my phone with my left hand. Yeah. Look, if <laughs> if I ever get like, you know, I, I look, number one, I do not know how Booth was was um was hurt, or at least I didn't know until today that they removed a tumor from his brain. Again, won't find out. But um, if I ever get a bunch of my brain removed, then I might stop picking things up with my feet and grossing out my girlfriend. Huh. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what I Well, like may- to- maybe you'll just stop picking things up with your hands altogether. You yeah, know? All, all feet, baby. I'm a foot guy right. now. What I like also is that um, when they're talking about this, like, ah, oh, Booth has some strange things going on with him. He's climbing stairs where, anyway, my friend who is a chef, do you want me to, do you want to interrogate this murder suspect with me for fun? You want to go double team this guy, chef who is no longer an accredited <laughs> psychologist in any way? Not, just not formally involved with anyone. Hey, you want to, you want, you want to do, you want to do a little interrogation just for fun? We're only have someone's life on the line. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So they do They do go in, they double team him, they ask him uh, how many iron leprechauns there are, for example, and he says, well, there's only one at a time. I took over from the last guy, Bryce DeFonte, who is now oh. your dead, you have easily had your dead person identified to you. Yes. Um, he says, "You, I guess you think that I killed him and threw him into a sinkhole to take over the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, and they say, well... We were there when Agent Booth identified himself as FBI and you ran away. And running away from the police is always suspicious. But he didn't even run. It's Booth went into the ring and then he started doing off the top rope stuff onto him. Yeah. He just started doing, he just started doing like wrestling piece, like set pieces. <laughs> like, oh, no, no, no. If you suplex the Department of Homeland Security, we know that you might be terrorist affiliated. I believe that you are describing resisting arrest. Okay? Yeah. Now, there's a big twist here as they reveal that this midget wrestler, to use the parlance of the episode, is a secret Canadian. <laughs> That's the big deal. Yeah, credits. <laughs> they'll go, oh, and they send him straight to Guantanamo Bay. Yeah. Um, he says... Hey, yes, I ran away, but I'm Canadian. My work visa expired a week ago. I thought you were going to ship me back to Sudbury. A bad part of Canada, to be fair. He's right. Okay. Ha- says, have you ever been to Sudbury? I haven't personally. I you have. would have run too. I have. Uh, I was sent on a camping trip when I was 15 uh, by my parents after... Huh. Um, well, it's, I really liked uh, Warhammer 40,000 and video games and things of that nature. And, every, and my greatest fear was being sent on a camping trip. Um, and especially because, uh, I kept, I, I, I liked Peanuts when I was a child. Uh, Peanuts, the comic strip, not Peanuts, the nut. I, I enjoyed Peanuts, yeah. the nut as well. The whole family of good stuff really <laughs> under that, under that name. Uh, good branding. Anyway, uh, and every summer Lucy would always be like, I signed us all up for camp. And they'd be like, oh, brother. And that was one of my worst fears was getting signed up for camp. And then I got signed up for camp. <laughs> and so I had to fly to Sudbury. Uh, where I was then sort of, you know, hauled off onto a boat and then had to canoe around the sort of beautiful Canadian um, north. No, it wasn't Sudbury. It was Thunder Bay. I've never been to Sudbury. Sorry. Apologies. Official apologies to the town of Sudbury. Maybe it's a city. Maybe it's a state. I don't know. Uh, it's a t- maybe it's, it's a, a province. Maybe it's, it's a, a province. It's a city in, in, in North Ontario. Uh, I also want to issue an official apology to the listeners of the Boney Island Whitefish. I promise I will try to do better. That's right. 
So anyway, apart from revealing this guy's secretly Canadian, he also fingers <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gidget. That's, that's the crime. The big secret Canadian. He fingers uh, Gidget, the, mm. quote, Vince McMahon of our world, mm-hmm. saying, um, you know, that the, the, the she would have had a problem with Bryce mm-hmm. because she had to pay him a bigger part of the gate. And also they used to fuck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get her into interviewer See, and she immediately gonna, declares I, I, herself a suspect. I'm going to say this. I feel as though this, I want to, I think we have to say this at some point. This episode is based on um, basically making a bunch of gross sight gags about little people, um, which I think yeah. kind of sucks where they're like, oh, look, imagine it because the subtext under they used to fuck is like this little person's talking like a talking like a, like a horny middle aged lady. And is, isn't that strange? And it's like it's clearly being played for like because the, the characters keep looking at. Like Booth and, and Booth especially and stuff keep being like up, 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 like they they they're why are you so small relationship why why is this going on and it's like hmm. god damn like clearly once again the crack writing team of Bones was like oh god how can we make like they they thought they were had some kind of genius brainwave because they were like oh two ideas we could have um the leprechaun a, a, le- a leprechaun character for the opening that we then dispose of as an idea. And then we can like we can write a whole thing about the secret all little people world of quote unquote midget wrestling, and it sucks. It sucks. Yep, and it goes pretty nonstop. Um, yeah, god damn. So, so Gidget, uh, Gidget confirms that she was in a relationship with Bryce. Um, says that he didn't own a gun because he was on parole, mm-hmm. but she had a gun of her own come up missing about the same time. Back to the lab. Yeah. Where Nigel, the British intern that we have never met before. And maybe we'll never meet again. (laughs) Maybe we'll never meet again. Um, He's found a series of nicks on the rib bones of this Mm -hmm. skeleton. Um, During this conversation with Cam, uh, someone comes in with a clipboard, gets Cam to sign something. She signs it for them without acknowledging them, leaves... We then keep talking about the nicks on the rib bones. Then, less than a minute later, another person comes in with a clipboard and has Cam sign something for them. <laughs> I think this might have been a copy-paste gone awry. I this think- is very... It, it was really distracting for me. I was like, when are they going to address the many clipboard signings that are taking place in what the are, show? But it, What's she signing for? How come we never know. seen her sign for something in the past? Was this an effort by the re- creators of Bones to try to inject some realism into the show Bones? We're not taking deliveries or anything. It's just, it's so, just signing off on, on warrants of some kind. Oh, some more Bones? You got some more Bones for us? <laughs> signing so, um, autographs as a famous Bones person? So... In order to try and keep this moving forward, the FBI have decided to interview the pro wrestler's brother and sister. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, brother and sister-in-law, yeah. I should say. For um, for what reason? Uh, just to be like, what's up? What's <laughs> yeah, up? The, the cl- uh, classic reason. How is it all interview- going? Um, classic reason to they- interview someone for a murder case is, oh, well, we've run out of leads. Better just start interviewing people. Hey, what was up with your brother? And yeah. um, they say, hey, you know, he... He started wrestling, he stopped drinking, he got his life together, got a source of income. It was all good. 
um booth then helpfully immediately makes a like a short joke at the expense of this guy's dead brother mm-hmm. which is pretty classy stuff oh yeah um but but during the course of this conversation they they reveal that uh bryce testified against his cellmate in order to get parole early and mm-hmm. they probably got him killed right so they drag the the ex cellmate in who is mm-hmm. now a free man in yeah. for an interview it's worth noting at this point, several occasions during the episode so far, Stephen Fry's character, Chef Gordon, 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 Gordon Ramsay, <laughs> has been referred to as a cook. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, I'm a chef. Thanks very much. Yeah. He's done this a couple of times so far. That's character development is, you know, he's not just there to sort of do Stephen Fry voice and then read a bunch of lines. Uh, he's there to have a character developed in this, again, like... Just goss- just gossamer web of a plot involving people just just plotting endlessly forward about people doing favors, people hitting on each other, just never never really sort of developing in any kind of say meaningful way other than just the next thing happens, the next thing happens, the next thing happens as the screenwriters just solve whatever problem is coming up for them, say, okay, well. I want to say that the cellmate thing was a significant, right? Um, and then there's like, well, oh, yeah, he testified well, to get parole. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I, I don't think that you're tracking the development of um, Stephen Fry's character properly. You see, he used to be a psychologist, but now he's a chef. Yeah, not a cook, though. So that's that's been a massive change in that in that <laughs> yeah. character's life, career, I mean, all these things. Imagine your day-to-day. That must change quite a bit. Chefs sleep in a lot more, but stay up much later. You're working primarily with food instead of with FBI agents' um, brains. You're doing a ton of meth. Yeah, there's Um, a lot, a lot more, um, a lot more sauces involved in being a chef. More sauces, but equal amounts of meth. Just working in the (laughs) FBI and being a chef. So, um, so all this is to say that the cellmate says to sweets and. Chef Gordon Gordon, who for some reason are still double teaming interview mm. suspects. Oh, yeah, he's basically um, just being an FBI agent for the day. Yeah, bring bring your chef to work day. Um, <laughs> and he says, "Okay, that's a real contender for an episode title." <laughs> <laughs> and he says, um, "He says, hey, if you don't mind me saying, neither of you guys looks like a cop. You look like a substitute teacher and a fry cook." I was gonna say he looks exactly like a fry cook. A Stephen Fry cook, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he gets fucking mad about this, and it's like, a fry cook? <laughs> we're not cops, we're professional interrogators. You're a chef. Nobody's a fry cook. <laughs> He's, and then he immediately pivots to a thing that has happened in previous episodes. Now, you will remember in the episode where um, Cam's adoptive daughter is dating Michael B. Jordan from Black Panther. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's like, I think maybe they're thinking about having sex. And Sweets is like, I think I'm going to threaten him with a gun no, and tell him that I could send him to prison forever. Sorry, Booth. You're right. Um, I feel like there was another one too where... where oh, it's um, oh, it's right on the tip of my tongue. Uh, sorry, it was the, the protester outside the chicken place. And they're like, hey, you put some feathers on me. I could send you to prison for 30 years if you don't do what the fuck I say. Having there's this really, really, brutality. there's this really, really thin veneer between 
these guys being fun-loving crime-slash-comedy caper characters. And the moment they receive not even the resistance, but like the tiniest bit of sass from a character, they immediately invoke the full force of the state on this person. And in this particular case, Chef Gordon Wyatt, who is currently not in the FBI, says, no one here is a fry cook. The cops are right back there behind the glass. If you annoy us, we will have an arrest made. Oh, they say rough you up. He says, any more cracks about fry cooks, I'll have them come in here to rough you up. Yeah. Uh, He is yelling all of this into the face of a black man who has not done anything or been accused of anything. Who's just cooperating. Um, Did you think, uh, uh, Andrew, I'm going to say this. I should note, I should note, sorry. This this interaction is played for laughs. Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, it's like oh, he's got his job wrong. Time, but it, and he loves <laughs> being a chef. He's so such a status obsessed chef. He's going to threaten him with some police brutality. <laughs> Needless to say, chefs do actually <laughs> like to physically threaten people a lot. But uh, Andrew, I'm going to ask you when I when I suggested yes. that we do this show some some weeks ago, did you oh. ever think? That you'd have to say, then Stephen Fry threatens threatens someone with police brutality. No, to be honest, that was not what I thought was going to happen. <laughs> I'm surprised. But also, like, think about the actual plotting here, right? Where they raise the idea of, oh, it's a criminal conspiracy. Maybe it was his cellmate who he ratted on in prison. Then immediately the cellmate comes in and just says, no, it was not me. It was a plan we cooked up together so I could help well, him hold, get hold on, hold on. sooner. Timeline-wise, this is not correct. Uh, they they start off by saying, the cellmate says, I got out three months ago at the time that you say the guy died. Because they had already decided that the time of death was about three to five months prior. Mm-hmm. And then this guy says, I got out of prison three months ago and I got a job doing road construction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a great big delicious red herring, but much as is the style of this show, they can only be fucked writing this for about 45 more seconds before he reveals, <laughs> hey, he was a great friend of mine. We cooked up the parole thing together so that he could get out early. I was never going to get out before my, um, before my full sentence anyway, and it was only, you know, it was only knocking on me for, for the pruno in our cell or whatever mm-hmm. so they they lay out a nice um a nice big red herring of maybe this guy did the murder and then immediately just say oh also no it wasn't him like it's just maybe there's just a new form of storytelling that we're not party to where sort of you raise and solve mysteries sort of rapid fire and then once you've raised and solved enough mysteries you just then raise and solve a mystery that ends the story yeah, I feel like it's it's kind of it's kind of confused versus like um, you know the way this type of thing normally works in say a detective mystery or a noir or whatever is that you raise multiple possibilities um, simultaneously of people who had various motivations to kill somebody. Like uh, I don't know if you saw Knives Out recently. Uh, I have not, but I've heard of it. Uh, it's very very good. It was very very fun. Um, very fun, uh, like murder mystery type thing. Although it kind of reverses the formula by showing you what happened to the victim right at the start. 
-hmm. and then uh, an investigator comes in externally and looks at this big expanded family unit and every single one of them has a motive for why they would have wanted this person to die. And that's normally the structure of this kind of thing. You establish a whole bunch of people who, for one reason or another, maybe the person at the center of the mystery, like, held power over lots of people, um, you know, held the purse strings to a family fortune, manipulated everybody, was abusive, whatever it might be. And you go through one by one and establish alibis for people or reasons that they couldn't be considered the, the person who would have done this thing. Instead... In this show, we establish something, we establish a motive, and then about 12 seconds later, <laughs> resolve that motive, leaving us for the foreseeable future in the show with no suspects or motives available. <laughs> so what that ends up with is that sort of the police just keep acting randomly and making wild assumptions because nothing ever leads to anything. They go, maybe it's this guy. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the same thing with setting up the overall concepts of the show. Like, maybe the mummy killed him? No, he didn't. Anyway, on to some assumptions. Maybe he's a leprechaun? No, of course, that'd be ridiculous. On to some assumptions. So, this guy has immediately introduced and absolved himself <laughs> mm -hmm. in the same sentence. Um, we then take a trip to the one restaurant well, that so all the characters one, eat at during the daytime. One small thing. Uh, mm -hmm. He raises the theme... That, oh, he wanted to get out of prison because he was in love. And when a man's in love, then he acts different. So what we've done is 75% do of, of the way into the show, having established basically nothing about the main mystery other than just a bunch of very quick ones that we solved right away and how he's not actually a leprechaun, we've now introduced a theme. And if, you're, if you are taking notes on how to write, you want to introduce your main theme about 75% of the way into the show. <laughs> the idea that love screws with a man. Yeah, ideally, ideally give us a, a tantalizing premise in the first five minutes, resolve all aspects of that premise in the following 60 seconds, and then just kind of meander around until you get near the end. And then start to think about what might actually be happening. Yeah, of course. So, um... There is a little a little interlude here where Angela and Chef Gordon Gordon White are having lunch together and she says, My psychic says that Brennan and Booth are linked in a very profound way. I think that in the coma brain dream that he had about him and Brennan being married, that he misses that dream. It's like he's homesick for that place and those people. It's good writing. And uh, he says, You think they fell in love in a dream? And she says... Yes, and he goes, "Cool, I agree because I'm a I'm a mental health professional. I'm a mental I'm a mental health chef, and I yes. think it's possible to fall in love in a dream. Which again, a be a good show, a well written show, could explore that possibility. They could tease out the implications of it. They could make people wrestle with it. In Bones, what we do is we raise the possibility and then say, "Yes, that's what happened. Anyway, what next? Yeah, not this show." So, um, we then take a trip back to the crime scene where, um, where <laughs> apparently for the very first time, um, so Hodgin says, Hey, there was, there was a very old pedestrian walkway under the street. Yeah. It was half collapsed. So it would have been very small, perhaps small enough for a small person to travel through. And apparently for the very first time. Booth looks around and notices immediately next to the place where all of this has happened, a big store that says, 
We sell gold and jewels. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you if one of the first things you do is find a bunch of gold coins, you don't want to check behind like a van or whatever that may be blocking your view of all the businesses around that may have gold coins in them. What you want to do is go make a bunch of wild assumptions, um, talk to a chef if you can, um, you know, accuse a bunch of people of murder baselessly, uh, get involved in a professional wrestling match more or less by accident. Um, threaten people with police brutality, again, pretty much randomly, and then only once you've done all of that do you want to then look fully around the crime scene. It's pl- yeah, classic you procedure. You, you then want to go back for the, as though it's the first time and say, maybe I should actually have a bit of a look around here. Yeah, you, you want to get remarried to the crime scene and renew your vows. So Bones and Booth go into this place and Dan Castellaneta, the beat cop, is back. Uh, he's telling them that the place got robbed three months ago. Mm -hmm. Um, Oddly enough, at the same time, this guy disappeared. No signs of forced entry, and the robbers stole gold coins, thus completely resolving the setup from the beginning of the episode. You know, maybe the problem was that they sent bones to look at it, so they focused on the bones, and that took them on some kind of wild goose chase about like a wrestling love triangle or whatever that ended up getting paid off right away. Maybe what they should have done is sent in coins or uh, crimes who would have realized that there was a robbery three months ago at this gold store that a body was discovered outside the gold store under a crawl space with a bunch of gold coins and maybe have realized that those two things could be related we gotta hand it off to coins (laughs) (laughs) coins and coins and and her her uh fbi protector uh dining chair Now, apparently the extent of the comedy that they are willing to involve extremely seasoned comedic actor Dan Dan Castellaneta in is for him to say, um, they, you know, they said, oh, maybe, maybe someone was waiting for him at the other side and they killed him as he was, as he was coming out and, uh, officer Homer Simpson says, (laughs) oh yeah, classic accomplice ripoff scenario. No honor between thieves. And then they both look at him like, what are you doing getting involved in our banter? Yeah. To which he responds, I'm not allowed to chime in. I'm a law enforcement professional. Yeah. And that's funny. Yeah. That's, uh, that's very that's, good. That's funny. That's pretty funny. That's, cla- that's that class. That's the charm he brought to the Homer Simpson role, which made America fall in love with police officer Navarro. You know? Now... You know what it is, folks. We're about three minutes from the end of the episode, and we have not established a cause of death or a murderer. No, or a motive. Uh, so time. it's time for... <laughs> let me hear that sting. It's time for some wild speculation. Now, what I like about this wild speculation is that it's not even in the form of like their normal wild speculation where they'll look at some evidence and then make some assumptions based on something physical. This in this case Oh wait, are we spe- talking about the are we talking about the cause of death or the or the fingering the killer? Oh, I'm talking about fingering the killer. We have two wild oh, Okay, cuz just here. just before that, just before yes, that. You do. You we do. have to establish cause of death at the lab. There were these nicks on the ribs that they were referring to earlier, right? And they start, still can't figure out what's going on there. And they're like, geez, it must have been a really dull weapon or blade or something to have made these marks. There must have been someone, you know, very clumsily hacking at this person. Um, and they think, you know, maybe, maybe somebody would have 
had to try and kill him as he was coming back up out of this little hatch at the end. And then Bones uh, turns the rib cage on a different angle and they say, wait, what if he was actually hanging from his arm and the killer shot down from above? And Bones says, one bullet fired from above, grazing these three ribs, deflecting, piercing the diaphragm. English Vincent says, of course, as an achondroplastic dwarf, his organs would be more tightly jammed together than an average person. It would have hit his liver and he would have bled to death in minutes. We have found our cause of death. Yes, wild speculation once again works. Wild then, speculation complete. So that's Bones' wild speculation. It's time for Chef Gordon, 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 <laughs> Wyatt, and Sweets to come in uh, and do some wild speculation of their own. Because that's right. At this time, the Bones don't have all the answers. You need psychology, uh, psychologist, and the chef in the morning. Um, <laughs> and so what we get is uh, they said, now, remember, the murder victim broke up with Gidget because she said he, she wasn't enough woman for him. And then they <laughs> They make... both go, oh, I'm having a psychology spasm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm psychologizing. Oh! I'm struck by psychology. I get, they both have like a flash of psychological inspiration where they do like a word association game between the two of them to hit me with that stinger again. To... Wildly speculate, wildly speculate that the um, that 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 the murder victim was in love with his sister-in-law, and that the brother would have killed him. Uh, not enough woman. They must be talking about a bigger woman. Yep. Who's that's... who's a bigger woman? His sister-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, time to go accuse someone of murder. Thank, I be- thank you, I believe, chef. I believe that the way they tie this together is by saying we looked at the phone records and he called his brother while he was in prison despite his brother professing that they were estranged, which means he must have been calling the wife. So the way that... um, The way that Sweets chooses to... Sorry, the booth chooses to resolve this is he he's like i'll take care of this with my own crafty psychology and he takes the sister-in-law to the crime scene and says this is where he died painfully of being shot in his liver to death and he cried the whole time <laughs> and she's like yeah it's classic police. <laughs> yeah um, she admits that basically the affair has been going on for like the whole time, 10 years, the whole time they've been married. Uh, this guy did the crime, Bryce did the crime to impress her. Um, she thinks that he did the crime with somebody that he met in prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, Booth then chooses to accidentally assess his own boner problem while lecturing this grieving woman about the, the murder of someone in her own family. Yeah. He says, uh, you see, Mr. Fonte, when a man can't have the woman that he loves, he gets a bit crazy. Ooh, what a line. What a line to have there. He gets a bit crazy. His gun don't fire no good, you know? <laughs> you know one brother, then, sorry, go ahead. he died for you right there. The other one, your husband, you put him through hell. You don't know these people. Yeah, You, you don't you know what their relationship was like. In the context of a professional interaction. My God. 
So we head on back to the lab. Um, Hodgins still can't find a goddamn bullet. He says, man, I can't find a bullet. It could have been washed very far away. I mean, this guy's ring was nearly 30 meters away from him. A high school wrestling ring. That's gotta be his, right? And Bone says, no, this ring wouldn't fit on the victim's finger, but it would fit on the finger of someone who went to the same high school at the same time and played the same sport, but had average sized fingers. Mm, It can only be one person. It can only be one person. And that's why they call the brother back into the FBI and they say, hey, hold out your hand, fingers outward style. And he goes, what? And they say, yeah, hold, just hold your hand out. Fingers out style. Like may, maybe you're going to poke me in the eyes or something. And he goes, uh, okay. And he starts putting his hand up. And then uh, Bones grabs his hand and forcefully puts the ring onto his hand. Yep. Doing, uh, putting him in a classic Cinderella scenario. Oh, but the reverse, the rare reverse Cinderella. The rare reverse Cinderella. You didn't want me to know that the slipper fit, you know? So, um, he's like, damn, you got me. And I did do it because he was fucking my wife. Uh, that classic kind of murderer who immediately admits to the crime the instant somebody suggests that they did it, which is very convenient for the show and its running time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank goodness. Anyway, I've noticed that that, that, that it's almost lunchtime here in uh, Bones Writing Studio Acres, so uh, I did it. I did the, the crime. Uh, take me away, please. Uh, you know what the boss said? We can't take the cling wrap off the sandwich platter until we have uh, fingered a murderer. Now, with our A plot resolved, mm-hmm. it's time to solve our B plot. Which yes. is the big the big problem of Booth's um, coma dick gun boner issues, <laughs> and again resolved by again, interacting with the same theme as uh, what made everyone so crazy. Turns out it was love. By the way, one small thing: bone when sweets and 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 Gordon 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 Wyatt are talking. Um, <laughs> They, they say, Sweet says, I almost feel guilty about publishing my book about Bones and Booth because the conclusion yes. is that they're in love. But they don't even know that they are in love. I, I actually um, books about my co-workers. I, I took some notes from this section, right, where, they, where he was talking about the book. He said, uh, Gordon White says, may I ask why you didn't publish your book on Booth and Brennan, which I assume was written in a previous season. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Sweet says... Learn. Sweet says, oh, is there a connection between my book and Booth's marksmanship? My book concludes that Brennan and Booth are in love with each other. To which Gordon Wyatt says, Steve, um, Stephen Fry style, it's a scrummy conundrum, isn't it? Shut which made my balls crawl up into my stomach. Um, Sweet says, I believe that as a reaction to the childhood traumas of abuse and abandonment, Dr. Brennan utilizes her intellect to armor herself from intense levels of emotion like love. And Booth is subconsciously sensitive to her vulnerability. He knows that acting upon his feelings for her would amount to a kind of assault. Uh, And so they do conclude that his gun issues are in fact a boner problem. So at this point... um, 
We need to solve the bee restaurant. We are back at the restaurant. Coming up right here is the most painful shit of the whole episode for me personally. Yes. Um, Booth's trying to sort it out. He's like, hey, I've got to be on the firing line tomorrow and I'm going to fix this up, fix my broken brain. And he's like, hey, they took out a brain tumor the size of a melon ball. I can't shoot straight. I can't tell if people are lying. Yet strangely, he's still out here putting people in prison. Mm-hmm. Of course. Which is interesting. Well, that's, that's, you know, you don't need to be that good at anything for that. You just need to, you know, a- be able to work a pair of handcuffs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I feel like um, I feel like the his ability to like fire his gun correctly, um, assess the way people are behaving in interviews, conduct interviews at all, all of these things. He's like, hey, I've been having a lot of trouble with these things that I am actively doing since my coma and my brain surgery. <laughs> so. Gordon goes on and says, um, this isn't because of brain damage. When you were in a coma, you fell in super love. Um and Booth's like, hey, we are not compatible. She sees the world one way. I see it another way. Damn, it's like, and- Romeo, and Ju- it's like Romeo and Juliet over here. Yeah, that's right. What is relationship compat- compatibility but seeing the world exactly the same way as each other? I just, yeah, you just want to date the face app version of yourself. Yeah, you, you know what they say. Um, identical versions of the same person attract. <laughs> that's it. That's right. So basically, the prescription is just be patient. Just wait it out. And he's like, what about my marksmanship, though? And he says, be a fucking man, bro. Be a fucking man. Grow a set. Yeah. Protect, protect your woman with a gun. Yeah, which is exactly. But do alarming, it sweet. Do it sweet style. Alarming advice. But he basically says, uh, take bones to the gun range with you. You won't fail in front of her, which to me is is really demonstrating like a fundamental misunderstanding of erectile dysfunction. <laughs> yes, because the, the writers, the writers of Booth, the writers of Booth, the writers of Bones, um, have always, uh, 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 they've always had boners the whole time. And uh, yeah, they they seem to think that if you're having prob- like performance anxiety issues, the way to solve that is to be watched by a bunch of people while you do it. Mm-hmm. So um, Bone shows up at the restaurant. They're given the chef's table in the middle of the kitchen. Um, Booth asks her to Booth asks her to come to the firing range with him. And I have to point this bit out for you, Riley, because you're always talking about precocious thirteen year old. Bones, right? Um, Booth says, can you do me a favor? And she says, yes, as long as it does not involve me shaving my head. It's a pretty and, he's like, and he's like, oh, you're making a joke. And she's like, yes, I am funny now. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, okay. Uh, will you do me a favor? And she goes, yes, as long as I don't have to shave my head. And he's like, bit of advice. Once the joke has happened, you don't need to keep doing the same joke over and over again. I would just like to point out that this is a conversation I have to have with my six-year-old daughter. Yeah, this is also uh, the, the writers of Bones, I believe, being lazy. <laughs> yes, it's the copy-paste script writing mm-hmm. approach again. They love to copy-paste. Uh, th- this is literally a conversation that I have to have with my children that is, uh, you know, just just teaching them about, about humor and timing. And it's like, yeah, if you did a thing one time, you don't do, doing it over and over again for the next half an hour is it's not mm-hmm. it's a diminishing returns kind of scenario so mm-hmm. final final moment here extremely painful to me 
I couldn't I couldn't write it all down, but Stephen Fry gives them an extremely Stephen Fry monologue at the end. He presents them with a little dish of food and says, Do try these amuse-bouche. They may look like sperm on corn smut, but I assure you they are magically scrumptious. Uh, and Bones immediately does picky eater face. He says, Be brave, my children. Make a foray. Cast off your shackles, etc., etc. Abide by my exhortations to joie de vivre that you may be borne aloft on the trembling wings of giggling angels. And Booth and Bones then look at each other as though they're about to, like, try skydiving and not eat a fucking dish at a restaurant that a chef just gave to them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely absurd. Um, and then they go back to the firing range and uh, he fires his boner gun and it works again because his lady friend is watching. And that's romance. That's romance. And that's, blah, blah, that's blah, blah, blah. They, they Hey, they called bones, they called nerves, they called coins. They should have called hearts. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. We've got to get out of here. We've gone long again, but we will be back next week. Thank you very much for uh, tuning in to the Boney Island Whitefish. Uh, Stay bony. Stay bony. See you next time. Bye. (laughs) 